I feel refreshed. Don't you guys want to feel that? Feel that more often on every level of life. I mean, from speaking about finances, I don't know if you can put those two together, refreshment and finances. I bet you can. I bet you really, really can, especially with today's author and pastor and just incredible speaker who is teaching us today about doing your finances God's way, doing your marriage God's way, doing your parenting God's way, work and rest God's way. I mean, come on, come on. We need all of this. And it's literally fully sound and fully premised on the Bible. So while his name is on the cover And while you can get even some of his free resources, which I highly recommend, Scott LaPierre is someone who is going to breathe life through giving you access to life itself. That is God. That is Jesus. That is the biblical guide to our life through these different conversations. I pray that it blesses you, not only here, but for you to get your hands on what he's offering. Because it's not just a book, it's a workbook. There's actually budget opportunities for you to download. He has so much wisdom and so much peace. I think that's where that refreshment comes from. So thanks, Scott, for just a a beautiful conversation. I know it's going to bless so many. And if you guys want to learn more about business and finance and marketing and marriage and money and all of these different elements, even of impact and messaging, got to get your hands on a ticket to the Grow Your Business for God's Sake conference coming up in November. It is going to blow your mind. The amount of people that will be in the room just energetically is so critical for us to exist and sustain in the kingdom. The worship is going to just put you on your knees, probably make you weep a little. What kind of business conference do you go to where you're on your knees and you weep a little? I don't know, but you're going to come to this one and it's going to to be incredible. I hope that we can have some of Scott's signed copies there for you. So Scott, ring, ring. I am now giving you that task. (laughs) Maybe for all the premier ticket holders, at least. So get your tickets now. They are going fast. We only have a couple more within the VIP and premier realm. Uh, But for now, tune in, enjoy your morning walk, your morning coffee, your drive to work, wherever you are. And I pray that you just are blessed by all that is Scott LaPierre. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. FIT is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie-cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. I am super excited to introduce to you guys 
I have someone beat out. Okay. We've got like a fellow, like family friend and influencer and coach and all the things in the industry that's familiar to the fit and faith community. His name is Glenn Lundy. And his intro is always, I am a father of eight. And da, 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 da. Well, you guys, we've got a winner, winner, chicken dinner on the show today <laughs> with Scott LaPierre, who is here with nine children. Him and his <laughs> wife, Katie, need a vacation. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I honor you. I honor you. And I'm super excited because I know that you're not just a dad. You are also an incredible father, if you will, quote unquote, to uh, a church, a Woodland Christian Church in Washington. And you actually studied right in my home state in Virginia. You went to Liberty mm. University. My uh, nep- niece and nephew actually go to the little Christian Academy there. So really Very cool good. linkage, right? The world is much smaller than we think. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Tamara. Glad to be here with you and your listeners. Yeah, it's going to be great. And you guys are going to have not only a wealth of information when it comes to parenting, but obviously marriaging through parenting, uh, homeschooling mamas and dadas in the house. You're going to be interested as well. But I'm super excited about this new resource you have um, that just came out in May about your finances and having your finances God's way. That's not just a book, but also a workbook resource too. Let's jump in there and then we'll go to the backstory. Okay, very good, Tamara. Yeah, so thanks. So uh, Harvest House published my book and workbook, Your Finances God's Way, largely drawn from a number of sermons that I preached on uh, finances at my church. I think, you know, people could walk into church and say, you know, here, there's going to be a sermon on finances and say, hey, this, you know, doesn't seem very spiritual. Um, You know, aren't we going to talk about prayer or forgiveness or love or something? But, you know, if God's word determines what is and isn't spiritual for us, uh, and definitely the frequency in God's word, then there are few things that are actually more spiritual than finances because few things are as frequent in scripture as finances are. And so what, what we do with our finances says a lot about our relationships with the Lord. And it's kind of that saying, if you want to understand people, uh, look at two things, you know, their checkbook and their calendar, because you see how they spend the two most important resources, their time and their money. And so I definitely um, saw a need to equip my church on uh, financial management. And then a lot of those sermons became this book. It's brilliant and so needed. And I think because church often speaks to like tithing, they forget the prerequisite to tithing is good stewardship in your home front finances to be able to tithe. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's really powerful to be able to have this conversation. And, you know, my heart is really like marketplace ministry and to recognize that it's okay. And also instructed for us to make good money so that we Mm -hmm. can serve God's kingdom in a really beautiful, good way. Um, So tell us some more about some of the principles that you're sharing Mm -hmm. in there um, that maybe we either share or aren't even familiar with yet. Yeah, well, it it took a lot of self-control for me to be quiet while you were saying that because I just wanted (laughs) like, amen. I want to amen your statements. Because Tamara, you're you're kind of talking my language there. Unfortunately, there's that famous quote, you know, um, money is the root of all evil, which is not what it says. Uh, I'm not anti-King James versions of the Bible, but it's a a somewhat poor translation there. In 1 Timothy 6, it actually says the love of money is the root of many evils. And so it's not money itself. It's the love of money. And it's it's not the root of all evil. There's plenty of evil that has nothing to do with money. It's uh, the root of, but it is the root of many evils. But Mm -hmm. the real issue is the love of money. Money itself is amoral. Um, which is to say it's not moral or immoral. It's like our homes, our cars, most many things, guns, you know, our world wants to act like guns are terrible. Um, yeah, they're amoral. Yeah. <laughs> so many things are, yeah. it's how they're used. And, uh, you know, God made many people in scripture rich, David, Solomon, Abraham. God wouldn't be given these people, you know, vast amounts of wealth if 
money money was bad. And so I do think that money largely allows us to be more of what we already are. Um, I've seen plenty of very generous rich people and very um, stingy poor people. And so you can be you can be generous or stingy whether you have a lot of money or a little money. And so um, I was talking to this gentleman, and he's made a lot of money in real estate. And he told me that a, a missionary contacted him, said a storm came through, destroyed, you know, houses, and they wanted to build these seven houses for three thousand dollars each. And and the missionary was hoping that this guy would give a little money, maybe a thousand or two thousand. He says, you know, I wrote a check for twenty one thousand dollars just to build all those houses. And so when you have, yeah, you, you made a great point that having more wealth can allow us to serve the Lord. And I'm not trying to defend having a lot of money. I mean, I have nine kids, homeschooling father, <laughs> pastor, yeah. author, you know, before this, I was a school teacher. I've never been, <laughs> had a lot of money, so I don't need to defend. I'm not one of those pastors making, making lots of money. I don't need to, to defend that. Um, I'm just trying to be biblical. And the Bible's pretty clear that, you know, money can be used very powerfully for God's kingdom. Yeah, there, there's so much, yeah, no pun intended and that fully pun intended, but the word that came to me first was so much richness in what you're saying. Uh, and I think it's important for us to have that element of discernment associated to the impoverished, generous person and the rich, uh, greedy person. And we, I think, especially in the business realm, see people of influence as equal to those who are making a lot of money. And that's simply not the case. I think sometimes people who are still in the development of that or in a space where they don't need money to make the same impact that you might be wanting to make, like their impact is on a more granular scale. Let's speak into like the homeschooling moms, right? Like they have massive impact. I was on a really cool show the other day and they were talking about, think about Obama's mom. Think about Martin Luther King Jr.'s mom. Think about any, insert anyone. Think about even Mary, right? Like to, Je to Jesus, like she wasn't impactful if you looked at her specific ministry, but when you look at the grandiose scale of her impact and her influence and her connectivity to richness, it's like massive, right? And so I just, it's sad that people put that scale out front when they're deciding or deciphering who they want in close proximity. Yeah, along those lines, I was just thinking of Timothy. I mean, he's one of the most well-known individuals in scripture. Paul wrote two letters to him. He's a pastor. He was a young young pastor. Uh, but in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So, so I, we don't know what happened to Timothy's father, but we know that he was a strong man of God, uh, and his faith, he was discipled by his mother and his grandmother. And so it's not an ideal situation. Obviously, you want to see children have a father, but it was his mother and grandmother's investment in him. And so you think, hey, what if, you know, we wouldn't have one of these great figures in the New Testament, if not for for uh, Lois and Eunice's investment in their, their son and grandson, Timothy. So mothers, yeah, have a huge influence, uh, often without a lot of money, mostly what they're spending is time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for my wife, it's, it's just spending a lot of time with our, my kids don't care you know, they're not asking for money. They want our time. They want us to be with them. Yeah. It's that, that love language. That's so, mm -hmm. you know, fundamental in, in all of us. And yet sometimes can be skewed as we grow even. And I never thought about it from that perspective. And I'd be curious to ask Gary Chapman, who wrote that book, the five love languages, like, does he think that this is nature versus like, what's that nature versus nurture conversation? Nurture. Right. Because Technically, if you've always been given gifts, like, and that was how your parents showed you love, 
do you now value that in your adult life when if they were just spending a ton of time with you, would you crave quality time more when you're older? Never thought of no. it from that perspective. I'd be curious if you have nine children, maybe you have some insight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you see the nature versus nurture play out in them? Yeah, my kids can be as you know covetous or as any other kids, and they can want their stuff, um, you know, toys or so or uh, you know fancier things. But I do feel like what they value the most is time because they know that it's pretty quick uh, and easy to buy something. And doesn't require the same investment. And so even, sometimes even when kids are younger and they really want the toys or something and the parents give those when the kids get older, they look back and do wish that the parents had made invest and invest more time. And in fact, that's a conversation kind of frequently in our home where our kids, they can get bored. You know, they don't family worship or time together at the dinner table. They want to get up. I mean, don't, don't have this impression that, you know, our <laughs> kids are just sitting around the table like, oh, daddy, you know, just keep talking to us. Keep t- Tell us one more story. You know, this is, the, I hope family Bible study goes on longer. It's not, it's not like that. Um, and I'm, I'm frequently having to tell them, hey, I know right now you kind of want to run back to your room or go off and try to find some kids to play with down the street, but it's really valuable for us to have this time together. And even right now, you might even be kind of frustrated with me that I'm making you stay at the table longer. I hope you can look back later and, and understand that, I, you know, this was valuable and that I was doing what I think's best too because you know your mother parents have 500 other we have a lot of things to do my wife has lots of things she can do too besides um hanging out hanging out with our children and so i i tell the kids hey you know we're we're investing the limited time we have to try to be with you guys as well yeah and i I want you guys to hear like not only from the perspective of investment right of finances we're talking about that at the forefront but also the investment into our children and that's, there's so many different resources that you've created, so many different books. And I love like the premise of God's way at the end of everything that you've done. You've got your marriage, God's way, enduring trials, God's way. Um, a father offers his son. That's pretty, but work and rest God's way, right? Yeah, your finances, God's way. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And it's this knowing that there is a predominant example secularly everywhere, right? Everywhere. And it seems that like the Bible, while the number one best-selling book of all time, uh, and pastors and, and huge churches or small churches are on every single corner, it doesn't feel like the God's way example is showcased very often. Mm. What, what do you, like, what's the premise of why this mission for you and, and why you keep making these resources for people? Yeah, good. So I didn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a writer and I wasn't one of those kids in school that just loved journaling or writing things down. I, I became a, I was an elementary school. I was an, I, briefly, I went through college. I was an ROTC. I was an army officer, got out of the military elementary school teacher. That's when I became a Christian, thought I was going to be a teacher and coach the rest of my life and really found my passion for ministry increasing and my passion for school teaching decreasing. You know, I wanted to tell people to open their Bibles versus telling kids to open their math and science books. Mm-hmm. And so then I went into because uh, I wanted to preach, I wanted to study God's word. And then I found myself writing out all these sermons very thoroughly. And there's kind of like these two categories of preachers, you know, one have very abbreviated notes and other pastors write theirs out very thoroughly. And I'm in that latter category of writing my notes out really thoroughly. And so my wife says, Hey, you know, you pour your heart into these sermons. I mean, every one of them is like a love gift to our church. And then you come down from the pulpit and you're done with it, unless you go, you know, do some guest preaching or conferences or something. Have, you ought to think about turning these into books. And I kept putting her off because I was, you know, so busy. I wasn't looking to, for more to put on my plate. <laughs> right. And, right. And so finally I preached this series on marriage at my church. And Katie's like, look, this is it. You know, this is what you, you poured your heart into these messages. They've been well received. 
this this should be your first book. And that was the genesis for for Your Marriage God's Way. Um, and then preaching on finances is the same thing. But, you know, what's behind it in answer to your question is that I just saw these needs. I saw the need for marriages to be strengthened, for finances to be strengthened, and for people to have biblical views of these. So I my books, I'd like to think nobody would look at them and think that they're my opinion about these topics. You know, I, I use stories from real life, but I use the stories to support what God's word says. I'm, I haven't been married that long. I mean, I, there's people in my church that have been married two, two, three times longer than me. So I can't stand, write a book on marriage and say, hey, here's my thoughts about marriage and my opinions because I know everything. And, I, and the same with finances. So I wanted to tell people what God's word says. You know, that's where the wisdom is. And so that's what's behind those, sub, you know, the God's way uh, title, because I really want to relate to people what God's word says on these different topics, because I'm convinced it's the best way on this side of heaven and the best way to live for eternity, for the next life, to see what scripture says about these areas of life. You know, and I think there's like so much power to that because oftentimes I, I'm one, my, one myself, I'll be transparent in this is like, I feel like in order to create an impact or, or you're creating movement or mission, and that's honestly a lot of the coaching clients that I have, they like have this idea that God's given them and they're like, I want to create an impact in this specific genre, or this specific entity or this specific mountain, if we want to refer to the seven mountain mantle. And I realize that often it's our voice that we want to get heard, right? It's our lens that we want to get out into the world. And I don't think that there's something wrong with that because I think our testimonies matter and I think our gifting and talents matter. But the fact that you essentially did what we all should likely do and like kind of surrender to the back of that, right? Like your name is on it, but you're doing it God's way. And so to, to really lend itself to the word and lend itself to his teaching and training and you just being kind of the auditor of that, I think is really is really special. So I just wanted to give you... Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I hope that's what my materials do. They exalt Christ. You know, I hope it doesn't look like I'm trying to exalt Scott LaPierre. I hope Christ is one exalted and people, you know, I'm looked him. I will say one thing regarding what you mentioned that's pretty interesting. The influencers that I know or authors or speakers, most of them are actually losing money to get out their messages. So there's a few, and you you know this. Yeah, 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 you have greater familiarity with this world um, than I do. The number of people you you work with, I'm I'm at conferences and I'm looking at people flying across the country, bringing in books, paying for the booth, basically paying to speak at this conference. And I don't know if people know that, but when when you're going to many conferences, many of these people are paying for the hotel, the car, the plane tickets, bringing the books in. And so my whole point of mentioning this is you say, why would people do that? You know, why would they lose money to get out these messages? And that, because it's that significant to them, it, it means that much to be able to tell people this thing that is on their heart. Now, hopefully it's something God's put right. on their heart. So right. you know, that's and, why people and, reach out to you and they say, Hey, Tamara, I'll pay you to help me. Yeah. I will give you money to help me better get this message out to people. You yeah. Know, and so I, I, I want to make sure people are hearing our heart and Scott specifically as he's sharing, right? Like, we understand that like the the premise of that, and this is the people that I have the joy of working with are rooted in God. And they do have that heart's desire to like make him know and exalt him and, and glorify his name, not, not ours through our stories. But there is an element of personal branding that comes alongside that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we have these conversations like ego um, and, and making sure that we are not being prideful or boastful or in greed when it comes to money, but that everything is is in surrender to his will. And so I'm, we're not downcasting. That's literally my clientele. I love you guys. You guys are amazing. Your movements matter to us. 
But I do think that there is a, a really uh, sound doctrine of being able to say and really put God in front. So let let me flip the angle in which I presented that the first time and hear your heart here, because there's the contradiction of people who want so desperately to share their faith, but they aren't bold enough to say God's way on anything. And they want to be, and they are in prayer and they are connected to the vine and they are all of these amazing things, but they feel like they are being closed minded or closed hearted or they're, um, to be quite frank, they're going to ruin their business, right? If they say their faith and speak to faith, because it's not mm. something, you know, faith in education, faith in politics, faith in blah, blah, blah. It's like all separate entities. Talk to me about like the, the power of merging those two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it kind of comes down to what you're living for and what you're tr trying to do. And so I'll, I'll use, I, I self-published and I tried, I don't want to bore your, your listeners, but. No, um, they love this. They're in this okay, journey. Okay. So I, I kind of write this first book and I'm going to get, go. so I'm so naive. I'm like going to Thomas Nelson website and it's yeah. like, hey, how do I get them or Zondervan Van to publish this <laughs> yeah. book? And it, and everywhere it just says the same thing. We do not accept unsolicited manuscripts. And then I'm like, okay, well they publish some people's books. So how do, how do some authors get published by them? And then you learn you need a literary agent. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's the next step. And I'll get a literary agent. So I sent out like 60 query letters to all these literary agents, nobody responds. And then this one gentleman responds. This is six years ago, five, 2015, 2016. This guy responds and he's, he was nice. It was hurtful, but he <laughs> said, I, he said it was in hindsight, it was a very good message to receive because he said, you know, I'm just going to let you know. And, and I'm not joking, Tamara. Maybe he looked at a photo of my family and like felt sorry for me or something. <laughs> Thought this guy has all these kids. I'm just going to let him, let him know how this world works because he's clearly pr pretty oblivious. And he said, I'm just letting you know, nobody's going to be interested in you. Nobody's going to respond to you because you have no platform. Now, in my mind, I'm like, I thought I had a, I hate to use that word platform. I mean, it's uh, kind of I antithetical know. to Christianity and the gospel. It sounds like, you know, promoting yourself, but I for know. lack of a better word, that's what he said. And so I said, you know, I got a, I'm a pastor. I do a little speaking. He's like, Hey, look, publishers are looking for thousands, thousands of YouTube subscribers, thousands of newsletter subscribers, thousands of people at speaking engagements throughout the year. And I was like, wow, yeah, you know, I'm like super far from that. And so he said, you should just self-publish. So I self-published Marriage God's Way and then self-published some other books. And then, you know, in 2020, this uh, a literary agent, Blythe Daniel, takes some interest in me. And she says, you know, I'd, li I'd like to work with you. And so then she signed me and then they republished my book, Marriage God's Way, as, as your Marriage God's Way. Uh, and that, that was kind of my journal or journey, you know, a lot of frustration and just having to kind of set out and decide that I, and, you know, I was looking at your, your book on Amazon. And so, you know, this, this world too. Um, but when I get the whole thing, I was going to say, you were real patient listening to me explain all that was when Harvest House took interest in me, I met with their senior editor. He was in Portland and I went with my wife and we met with him and his wife. And I went into that meeting thinking if they want to take my book, Marriage God's Way, which I believe is an ultra conservative biblical marriage book, and they want to, republish it or they want me to publish anything and they want me to soften it or compromise, you know, I, I'll, I have to walk away. And so, you know, and that's a, that's what I dreamt of for years was like having a traditionally, a, a traditional publisher being, you know, like a legitimate author kind of thing. But it was like, if they're going to expect me to not be bold with my faith or with biblical principles, then I'm just going to have to keep self-publishing where I can basically say whatever I want. And so fortunately, you know, I appreciate Harvest House's integrity. They said, we'll, we'll let you stay true to the Bible. That's exactly what we want. And so I've enjoyed 
I've enjoyed working with them. But I sense that temptation. You know, am I going to miss subscribers or listeners or views if I'm bold or I condemn this or I say this is a sin or I preach this? And so people really need to ask themselves why they're doing what they're doing. I didn't want to. I didn't want to sell more copies but reach the end of my life and have compromised. And so I'm happy mm-hmm. to have less views or sell less copies if I can stand before the Lord someday and he can say, well done, good and faithful servant versus, you know, servant who compromised to, to get more sales or something. So, yeah, that's really yeah. good. I love that. Like copies or compromise. I'm totally going to steal that one. Well, and the reason I was so patient listening to you is one, we that's our community, right? Like founders, innovators, and trailblazers, they want to be authors or they're already authors and they're in that journey. And I remember having that exact conversation with a couple of literary agents and publishers at a Lisa Turkhurst event called the She Speaks Conference that she has every year. And the word platform was literally like everywhere in the hallways. This was in 2018. And everyone, my platform's not big enough. Your platform's not big enough. How do you get a bigger platform? I want a bigger platform. I don't know if that's the right thing to have a bigger platform, but I I don't want a bigger platform, right? Platform. That's the entire conference. And I remember sitting there and and being not only deflated by the amount of work that I had put in, not just to that book, but to the platform that I thought I had, right? That was really nothing at the time and still isn't if you look at it from the perspective of what a lot of people have. Um, and I remember thinking that this doesn't make sense. Like, why, why is this the word that they're using when God is the creator of that platform and he's deposited awesome. all of these people? There was 800 women in this space. 800 women with the same exact desire to put this message out into the world and to glorify his name. Why is there this huge like limiting factor that we have to have a bigger platform? Isn't the book supposed to get the platform? Like, I don't get it. (laughs) Right. And so I remember going home and thinking, I feel really defeated. And Mm -hmm. simultaneous to that, I did pick up an agent. Simultaneous to that, there was interest from a publishing company. And I still was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this my way to be honest. And I'm going to steward what God has given me. And it's going to be done in a, in a different way than what everyone else said I should do. And even what I was just taught at this awesome conference. And so I want people to hear that there are multiple ways to do things God's way. And he is going to direct that path for you, just as he did for you. He was like, you know, you're going to do it this way for a while. And then I'm going to open this door. In your stewardship, in your obedience, in that in that grace, he was like, here's Harvest House, and you don't have to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's power in p- listening to people's stories and listening to people's perspectives in that, that journey. And uh, I just want more people to go on it and not feel fearful of, you know, what they say, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, because I do believe that our voice matters. And if you think about a lot of New York's time bestselling authors they have written and wrote multiple books and publications before they ever got the recognition of what other people say is a massive platform. And then it circled back just like yours to some of their first publications for them to then get seen and grown in a very quick way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's two thoughts uh, regarding what you shared. First, your jur- my journey I had plenty of things I'm, if I want to say embarrassed or wish I'd have done differently. I was striving in my own effort. I wish I would have trusted the Lord. I don't want anyone to listen and just picture that I was this, you know, faith-filled Christian that just, you know, open-handedly let the Lord do whatever he wanted. You know, (laughs) I I look back and I wish I hadn't, you know, tried to push open some doors in my own effort and had just said, hey, Lord, my life and ministry is yours. You do what you want with it. Now, there are things God did. There are doors 
he opened, but I almost feel like he had to open them after I stopped pounding on him trying to open them, <laughs> right, if that makes right, sense. Yeah. And so, um, so the second thing is that the parable of the talents, I really hope could be encouraging to your listeners. It was a great, it's been a great encouragement to me because there's two servants, the first two who were faithful and one produces five and the other produces two, yet they say, receive the same reward because they were equally faithful. And so I mentioned that because if I use myself as an example, if I had to compare myself to the John MacArthur's or R.C. Sproul's of the world or Matt Chandler's, I'd feel like a huge failure. You know, there's the word again, platform, because mine's minuscule compared compared to those. Um, and many of your listeners who could look at Lisa Turkhurst and say, well, you know, my ministry is nothing like Proverbs 31 Ministries. What, how am I a huge failure? But that's not how God looks at us. God just looks at us to be faithful with what he's given us. And some people who are faithful end up, very few of these people being huge, like John MacArthur, most of us just have this little area of the world where we have to be faithful and allow God to open those doors. But the good thing is when we stand before him Sunday, um, it's nice to think that if I'm as faithful as John MacArthur, and I'm not saying that I am or have been, but if I was, then I have the same reward, John. I am equally pleasing to God as John MacArthur is. And so for any of your female listeners that are as faithful to God as whatever woman, you know, Elizabeth Elliot, or they put on a pedestal or Lisa Turkhurst, then they have the same reward. And the other thing is there's been some real difficult things in ministry where I've been kind of glad that I just kind of go back to my small church, small compared to some, you know, compared to mega churches. You mentioned Lisa Turkhurst and her marriage, whose marriage gets that sort of attention? Mine, mine doesn't. And so she went through some excruciating things that were made much worse by how public they were. And so sometimes, you know, being big or whatever, it's not as attractive or great as people, as people think it is. Sometimes it's nice to have a nice, quiet life, serve the Lord in a capacity that he's called you to um, enjoy that, you know, engagements or opportunities like this that he gives us or the books he allows us to write and use in people's lives. But there's a cost that many of these people pay for being that, that big, um, where a lot of people are looking to see, uh, find a blemish and see him taken down. Yeah, I just think more money, more problems, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, it is it's true from a perspective of like clients even, right? And for you it would be even community members within your church. And I see the desire of small churches wanting to be bigger. And then when more com- people come in, it's like the management of relationships, right? Is so difficult. Even just growing a team as an entrepreneur, I'm like, whoo. I need to just focus on leadership. I've got to stop everything else and focus on leadership if I want this thing to keep moving forward. And so it's more so recognizing that through your journey, big, small, whatever you want to compare it to, it doesn't matter. It's all in that equalness that we're talking about that God sees us as the body, right? Like my knee is equally as important as my left pinky. It just Mm -hmm. is. (laughs) And so I, I want all of those things to work in unison as does he for you. But I think about the the element of necessity towards um, maintenance, I guess, of all of those different body parts, all of those different giftings, all of those different talents, um, and not resting. Um, and and I don't want people take me wrong because I'm gonna be like, be still and know. Yes, I know the verse, but it's like <laughs> the not not sitting on a gift. It's like, imagine yourself. That, that's the, that was the failure of the third servant in the parable of talents that I mentioned earlier. Yes, he took his no. talent, he hid it, he did nothing with it. And you're, you're making a great point. I mean, the Bible says to him who knows the good he ought to do, and he does not do it to him, it is sin. And so Jesus actually said that that servant was wicked, not just lazy, but wicked. Why? Mm-hmm. We always think people are wicked because of what they do badly. Like they murder, they commit adultery, you know, they're, they are pedophiles. But this guy was wicked because of 
his failure. He hid the talent. He didn't use what God had given him. So I agree with you that if God wants us to do something and we don't do it because, you know, maybe we're tr- trying, like you said, to live that real quiet life. That's not a good thing. I'm glad that some people I really respect, Jonathan Edwards or Ma- John MacArthur, didn't just say, well, I'm going to lead this little quiet life and I'm never going to speak to large audiences. I've been blessed by their ministries. Yeah. And, and I think that there's just a lot of power to people understanding that that what they do in the room that you walk into with that sense of authority that he's given you in that gift is glorifying him, right? And so there's an element of confidence that has to be associated to how you operate your gift, but that takes practice. And you don't just walk into a space or write your first book and be like, I am a gift to the world. That's not the intention. It's, it's God sharpening you in that season and being like, you know, the hundred people who bought your book, that's who you wrote this one for. The next one we'll get, we'll get after it in a different way. And he's teaching you something about ego or something about pride or, and, or not. Maybe he's just saying that those 100 people are the next Abrahams. They are the next Moses. They are the next people who are going to go and actually touch the millions as we talked about the mothers to the one, right? And so... Fit and Faith Media Co. is dedicated to activating mission-driven leaders in the marketplace by way of publishing, press, and play. Because your story doesn't just matter to you. It matters to move others. We help you dissect and share your message through podcasting, book writing, and business development. These three areas are exactly how my team and I have opened doors to stages, become the best-selling author I always dreamed I'd be, and even the entrepreneur that energetically and joyfully shows up to serve each and every day. Literally nothing I do feels like work. Every day feels like play. And we'd love to help you live the same life of freedom and fun. If you're a speaker, a writer, or an aspiring business owner, let's jump on a call today to vision cast your future together. Go to www.fitinfaithmedia.com. Again, that's fitinfaithmedia.com. Book your call. If you're a founder, an innovator, a trailblazer, or a wannabe, we can help you get there. Let's do it. We talk a bit, obviously, about this book, about your your role as a pastor, your role as a father, your role as a husband, even a bit about the army. I, w- I want to know, like, in in this walk, in this journey that you've been on, what areas of, like, struggle have allowed you to maintain serving? Because I think people think struggle is flee, right? But I know in all of those roles that I just mentioned, there has been hardship. And so what keeps you, other than the word, I think that's the ultimate answer, but what has kept you here? Yeah, you're making a great point. There's a tendency in all of us to want to run away. I mean, divorce has occurred because people want to run away from marriage. I read, I heard the other day pastors stay at churches. I thought it was an average of seven years. I heard it was three years. Um, and they run away and then they have a honeymoon in another church and then maybe they, they leave that church. There's really something to be said for people that stay married, mm-hmm. stay and, and people that aren't pastors, but just mm-hmm. people frequently bounce around churches. You know, I, I started pastoring and I thought, Hey, I'm, I'm no, I don't think everyone's going to leave my church, but lots of people can have, have left my church too. And so, um, there's that, there's that tendency in us. So there's something to me that's very honorable about remaining faithful in difficult situations. I know what looks honorable. It looks honorable to be up front in front of thousands or sell thousands or, or have a huge following or something like that. But to me, it's very honorable. We have a young woman in our church who has a young family and she has stage four cancer. She's been battling. and She's born up underneath that in an incredibly faithful way. To me, few things are more honorable than that. I know, I know another father, his wife is expecting their 11th child. 
Um, it's probably okay to send it, share his name because the journal's online. His name's Josh Thomas, and they brought him home on hospice. He's on hospice. He had this very aggressive form, healthy six months ago, but he's maintained his faith and his witness through this. And few things are, to me, as honorable or impressive spiritually as people quietly bearing up the difficult trials under the difficult trials they experience. And so, you know, they always interview the guy after he wins the big game and they put the mic in his face and he's like, oh, I want to give all glory to God. Go ahead and I'd like to see the guy that lost the game interviewed and see if he still gives glory to God. To me, that's what's the real question when you're not getting the book deal or you're not getting the speaking engagement or you're you're being betrayed by the friend or you're, you know, you feel like your pastor has mistreated you or your church family didn't respond the way you want. How did you handle that? Did you handle it in a way that, that glorifies the Lord? And you mentioned something earlier, you kind of looked, uh, it was an insightful observation you made about the tension that exists between sort of striving and resting. And so it's kind of the idea that let's say there's someone who needs a job and they say, oh, I trust God. I just sit at home. And if he wants me to have a job, he'll bring, we, we would not look and think that's wise. We think that's foolish. You know, or if someone says, oh, I have so much faith in God. I get in my car and I don't put my seatbelt on. And if he wants, so there's a path we walk that combines faith and wisdom, right? And I don't want to say if you have so much okay. faith yeah. that you're you're foolish, but if you were to say, you know, oh, I'm going around these sick, sick people and I'm just not worried about getting sick. I mean, that's foolish. So, well, it's the same in this world that we're kind of discussing. There's an amount of effort that needs to be exhibited on our part. It's a foolish person that, that sits back and doesn't do anything, but it's also a foolish person that tries to do everything in their own effort and is not prayerful and is not trusting the Lord. So there's kind of these two ditches, you know, that's why it's a path of faith and wisdom right down the middle. You're trying to avoid that ditch of striving in your own effort to force doors open that God might not have opened for you. You're also striving to avoid that ditch of just sitting back, being that third lazy servant who doesn't do anything and buries their talent, you know, doesn't use the voice that God has has given them. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm processing a couple of scenarios that are happening in some dear friends' lives of mine. And I'm curious in your experience, because you talked about like the, the banging on the door until God opened it. Do you ever feel like, or maybe you have a off the cuff, because I'm trying to think of somebody biblically, who they have forged their own path and knowing that God uses all things for good, God has actually come and like resurrected that choice. And that might be so put you on the spot. Did I'm it go poorly for the person or did it go well for the person? No, it ended up turning for good, right? But they they ended up in their own strength, in their own will, in their own deci- like decisiveness. We're like, I'm going to go and do this thing. Because God said, do this, but this wasn't necessarily the way or the path God wanted them to do it. Um, the examples that come to mind to me are more of kind of the opposite of people who trusted God and let yeah. him exalt them like David. You know, he gets yeah. anointed. He doesn't take the throne from Saul. Yeah. Um, or people who like David's son Absalom who did, or Adonijah, who did try in their own effort to take the throne. And then it went very poorly for them. Yeah. Now, Abraham, Abraham's a great example because he is this, he's the father of faith. And there were times that he was striving. He says, he tells his wife, Sarah, he's like, hey, say that you're my sister because I'm afraid for my life. And he does that twice. It, that went poorly. It did go well for him later, though, I think, because he was a persevering individual. Um, so there are there are definitely times that we strive and fail. And then, you know, we might have to be disciplined and learn a tough lesson from that. Um, and then God works it out well for us in the future. But I, I think the ideal situation is to kind of hold things open-handedly or loosely and let our prayer be, hey, Lord, my life belongs to you. Um, use me how you see fit for your glory and honor. And and whatever, you know, that exactly looks like, it's going to be different for each person. All the people that reach out to you, they end up following these different these different paths. God uses them differently. But the important thing is just to be faithful with whatever God has put in our path. 
Yeah, I think there there's a lot to just chew on with that and then knowing that every path is different regardless of how other people example it. We talked about our entire experiences as authors and I have so many people who do come and join um, the community in effort to kind of get what I have, right? To, to do what I do. And I never want to project that like, that's what God has called me to. He hasn't called me to make mini me's. He's called me to help you move the kingdom in the way that only you can do. Mm -hmm. And therefore you can't follow the same path. And so when people are out selling blueprints or even like follow this step-by-step testimonial or devotional, and at the end of this 30 days, you're going to be anxiety free. Like, I get it. I understand the concept of people giving the blueprint of how they did it. But talk to me about how like there's got to be this this own cultivation, this own connection, this own intimacy with the Lord of relationship rather than doctrine of religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I'll share an example with you real quick that kind of relates. You did ask me an example from scripture that kind of comes to mind in this discussion. It's a little more obscure. It's not as well known as the parable of the talents or David becoming king. But um, David was chasing these men, the Amalekites, who had captured his wife and his his men's wives and children. And it must have been terrifying. They wonder if they're going to see their wives and children again and what these evil people had done with them. And while they're on this journey, there's 200 men that can't. They're, they get become exhausted. They can't go further. You know, they actually have to stop at this brook because I guess if they tried to cross it, they drown. And then 400 men go further. And they end up saving the wives and children, which pretty much every man wants to be his wife's hero. Every man wants to save his wife. And then David comes back. He returns with these 400 men and all their wives and children and meets the other 200 men that had to wait at this river. And some of the, it calls them wicked, worthless men, started mocking the men who couldn't go further and criticizing them. And of course, those guys must have already been feeling terrible about about not being able to. And the Bible says they couldn't go further. It doesn't say they were being lazy or fearful. Right. These are, you know, if you're with David, you're pretty much a mighty, powerful man as it is, or you're not going to be on the run with him. And so David steps up and he says that the men who went with the, went further are going to have the same reward as the people that stayed back with the supplies. And David even spoke positively. He said they stayed with the supplies. He made it sound like them staying back was this honorable thing. And David says, everyone's going to share the same. And the reason they shared the same is because David understood they were equally faithful. Some people were able to go further and some people had to stop earlier. But the fact is they all did their best or they all did what they had been called to do. And that's really the question. You know, we're just going as far as we can. We're doing, we're being as faithful as we can. It looks different for each person. Um, And how do you know? I mean, it means trying to be receptive, receptive to the Lord, being in prayer, being in the word. And I'll, I'll frequently pray that. I'll, you have to pray things you might not want to pray. For example, you might have to pray, Lord, just keep that door closed if it shouldn't open. And you don't want to pray that. You want to pray it opens. You know, you, you want to pray, give me favor with this publisher or with this organization. Right. But if that's not your will, then just keep that door closed. And it right. means being receptive to God's will and saying, you know, don't, don't move me on or keep me here or don't let this work out. Even though I'd love for it to work out, you know, my heart, Lord, if that's not what's best, I trust you and just go ahead and, and prevent that from happening. And so it means, you know, being, having a soft, receptive heart to the Lord's will and, and open and receptive to what he wants for you versus striving, which is something I've done. I mean, I, I sit there and I, there's this part of me that just wants to blurt out half the time I'm talking and saying, yeah, I'm speaking from failure. I have made yeah, this mistake. Always. I don't want you to have to, 
I'm not, I'm not like the picture of doing these things perfectly. I'm the picture of embarrassing myself at times and then <laughs> learning from it, you know, and hopefully you can learn from my mistakes and not make the same yes. mistakes yourself. Yeah. And I think that's like kind of exactly where I was going before is like this, knowing that you might make that misstep, you might go the, the wrong way on the Y turn. Right. And, and yet God is a redemptive God. And, and knowing that even the prodigal came back and his father oh, hosted nice. a party. Right. And so I love that example that you gave. And I, where is that from in the Bible? I want to go. Yeah. It's in first, it's in first Samuel chapter 30, okay, uh, cool. David's men. And you'll read it there. Yep. It's a great, it's a very great yep. account. First Samuel chapter 30 for your listeners. Yeah. I want to, I want to like process that a bit more because I feel like there's a lot of people who feel like they're that person. They're, they've come so far and they see other people up ahead of them. And not to say that they're not, they're like self-condemning, right? It's not necessarily the people who are ahead of them that might be pointing back to be like, you're lazy, get on with it, get on with it. Now, some of my coaching clients might feel that way. I'm like, come on, <laughs> get out of it. But I, I think it's important for people to recognize that in that space, it's really, it's really critical for us to realize that we have done in our, like in our abilities, all we can do. And that there are so many situations, like you mentioned, those two people who are dealing from a sickness perspective, that this is God's journey. Like this is God's fight. This is his, you know, will be done. And so for all the listeners today, I just pray that you hear uh, Scott's heart. I hear that you, um, or I pray that you have simmered with something new, that you too go back and, and get into the word some more from the way that he stewarded it through this conversation. I appreciate just the the subtleness that you bring to this conversation. Um, but I can tell that you're a mighty man of God. And so I thank you for all the prayers that um, have been unspoken, even in the season that you're in right now. I just pray that those continue to supply fruit in the weeks and years to come and multiply, not just for those babies of yours, but for the community in which you steward. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tamara. Thanks for this opportunity to be here with your listeners. If anyone's interested in, uh, you know, reaching out to me or learning more about me, they can find me uh, through my website, scottlapierre.org. You'll probably have the the link there in the show notes and I have a free gift. We talked about marriage a little bit, a free gift for your listeners. It's called seven biblical insights for marriage. And they can download that for free from my website. And there's a contact page if they have any, any questions. And and probably just the last thing I'd say, Tamara, as you were talking, kind of, you know, uh, I feel like it's on, is on my heart is most people who have done almost anything have experienced uh, many failures. They've had doors closed in their faces. They've received many rejection letters. Um, they've lost, they've been turned down for many jobs. You know, people, rare is the person who has succeeded, who didn't experience in, incredible uh, amount of failure previously. And so, but they were persistent, you know, they persevered and they didn't give up. They continued to pray. They continued to seek God's will for their lives. And so I just hope that might be an encouragement to, to your listeners. Yeah, 100%. And, and you're so right. Uh, I think that's truly where God gets the glory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is being able to rectify a story by his will and his way and, and to bring that to light. And I think when I'm thinking through everything that you've done, that's what you've been doing even through yeah. all of your, your ministry. So you guys make sure you get your hands on not only the free downloadable and also his, his new book, because I know everyone on this call knows and needs a way to steward their finances God's way. And to be reminded of that, even if you feel like you're doing it well, maybe it's a gift to somebody else who you think could do it better. Um, it's a, it's a resource and it's connected to his word. And when anything is connected to his word, we know that it's going to bear good fruit. So 
enjoy. You guys, thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate you. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Tamara. God bless. Hey y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts, and you can tag me and the guest, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you may even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken. I would be so grateful if you even took the extra step. Come on, give me that extra sauce and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast listening app that is of your choice. I'm going to be featuring your thoughts, in fact, and this is going to be so fun in upcoming episodes. So you'll not only hear your name on the show, but maybe even your passion project or whatever big shout out you want me to make. So please, as a fellow writer, leave some words that I can attest to and I can't wait to read what you have to say. Thanks again for being a loyal listener and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting. And I say we because the Fit and Fake team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith Way. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.